Boomerang is a longtime supporter of today's guest, Simon Scriber and Fundraising Everywhere. We are so excited Bloomerang is bringing you today's episode. Bloomerang is a donor database trusted by tens of thousands of fundraisers. They have pulled together the latest and best practices for donor engagement and retention to create a simple donor database solution that helps nonprofits decrease donor attrition and increase revenue. It's a donor management solution for small to mid-sized nonprofits. Bloomerang is cloud-based. It's an all-in-one solution that includes built-in wealth screening, donor surveys, engagement scoring, email marketing, and online fundraising. So basically, it does everything but your laundry. Yep. To learn more, visit bloomerang.co. That's bloomerang, B-L-O-O-M-E-R-A-N-G dot co-o-o-o-o-o-o. Oh, 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 oh. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 4 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. Woohoo! We're doing more in Season 4 to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real world experiences and interviews with experts in getting it done. You may hear a y'all or two along the way, uh-huh. singing and strange sound effects. It happens. It does, and just be okay with it. It's going to be all right. No one's going to get hurt here. And there's more of us to love, actually, in Season 4, with episodes dropping every other week, all year long. So you know what? Let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today. So, there's been a little bit of stuff happening recently. I don't know if you're aware of it. You know, maybe some global pandemics, maybe some climate change, heat domes, voter rights. I don't know, Amanda, just chime in when you feel it. You know, there's been a lot. It's been a lot. It's been a lot over the, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And also pandemic um, over, over the last 18 months. And it's all these things together have definitely altered the way that I see and experience things and think about things. Uh, on a deeply personal level, but also on a business level, right? I, um, like a lot of people, I was fortunate enough to have a business that could survive during these times, but I was able to do that only by really rethinking a lot of the things that I was doing and changing my business model. And it was nothing like how I imagined um, my consulting practice would be when I first started it at 2018. I know, Amanda, you probably have the same oh, kind of thing. Well, same. I mean, well, both of us going into 2020, we're both traveling once or twice a month at least for doing in-person training. And, of course, all that came to a halt. And, you know, when you can't do that, you have to figure out, okay, where is my income coming from now, right? So we've oh. all had to rethink and reconfigure. Um, but that's why we're especially glad to be talking with Simon Scriver today. His background and accomplishments have definitely taken some interesting paths in the fundraising sector. And we mean that Um, with all due respect. We really do. But there's been some things. There's been some stuff. We're going to get into it. He is a professional fundraising consultant, coach, 
trainer, practitioner, keynote speaker, podcast host, and co-founder of both the Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus virtual experiences. Simon has won Fundraising Ireland's Small Budget Big Impact and Supplier of the Year Awards, Aircom's Startup Award, and he was a 2019 finalist of Charities Institute Ireland's Communications Agency of the Year. He's a TEDx speaker and has previously won the Toastmasters UK and Ireland International Speech Contest. Simon also offers consultancy to some of the biggest and smallest charities in Ireland and abroad. He offers advice and training to nonprofits to make their fundraising more cost-effective, speaking regularly at international conferences. He holds a diploma in fundraising and a certificate in fundraising. So welcome, Simon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on being renewed for season four. <laughs> it was touch and go. No, no it wasn't. It wasn't. The, the network was, was unfair. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. As we, yeah, we are titans of the podcast industry now, and <laughs> we we thank you for recognizing that. I love it. I love I love your podcast. I'm I'm very happy to be invited on. Um, so thank you for having me. Our cool. pleasure. Glad to. So we're we're glad to share you with uh, our little corner of the world. So, mm-hmm. um, well, like Kimberly hinted. You, you've had some experiences along the way. So let's get started with a little tidbit about your past. Um, in a 2019 interview, you said that your first job in the fundraising field was working as an on-street fundraiser in Melbourne, Australia, stopping people and asking them to commit to a monthly donation. Um, yeah, I'm going to need to know a bit more about that. <laughs> Y'all can't yeah. see me, but I'm just cringing at the thought. It goes against every introverted bone in my body. But please, well, Simon. I'm an extrovert, and this still sounds miserable to me. So. Well, I mean, I would, class, I would class myself as an introvert. And so even thinking about it now kind of gives me a little bit of a, a shiver. Um, but that's how I started. Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, some people call it a direct dialoguer or an on-street fundraiser or, uh, God forbid, a chugger. Some people call it over over this neck of the woods. A chugger? chugger. Yeah. We're making, it's, no, um, we're making notes. We're going to have a vocabulary list for y'all. It, no, it, we're not. We're not. It's a kidding. frowned upon f- uh, phrase now because it's short for charity mugger. And so, so actually it's kind of frowned on in the sector, but I, I, don't, really mind, I don't really mind it. There um, you go. But yeah, stopping stopping Australians. I was backpacking in Australia, and I got this job. I, I didn't know you could work in fundraising. I, I didn't know it was a job. Yeah. I thought it was all volunteers, you know, as a lot of people do. Sure. And then I saw this ad when I was backpacking in Australia, and it said, you know, make a difference, talk to strangers, earn money, whatever. <laughs> so they plonked me out with a couple people in the middle of the street in Australia. <sighs> And you become one of those annoying people like, hey, do you have two minutes? Oh. Hey, can I chat to you? Oh. And, um, yeah, it was, it's it's an, it's a really weird job. But yeah. I love it because it changed my life. You know, it was, it was really, really hard. It was the hardest job I've ever done. But it was one of the best jobs I've ever done. And I met amazing people. And I learned so much about communication. And in terms of being an introvert, it it forces you, you know, it forces you to communicate. And even now, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of emotional baggage and social problems and I don't really like talking to people, believe it or not. My uh, people have spoken. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But it, but it, it, it was great. It was like, it, you know, I saw a completely different side of Australia. I saw a very local side cause I met so many locals and I just learned so much about how people think and how people make decisions in their giving because 
people are very strange in how they make their decisions to give. And so actually to talk to hundreds of people, you know, every week and see the thought process of why they wouldn't or why they would donate. I think that kind of served me, you know, 20 years later uh, as a professional fundraiser. Interesting. You'd never do it? You have them in America. I've seen them in America. That doesn't mean I like it, Simon. That just means they're here. Yeah, true. (laughs) I am like, I am like, I'm born and raised in the South all my life, but I think my most, if I could have a New York quality, it would be my ability to avoid eye contact and slide through a crowd and walk fast. I just, I don't engage. I don't engage. It's very un-American. I mean, Americans have a real gift for speaking and any, any listeners who don't know, I'm Irish um, and I've kind of, you know, I've worked all over, but Americans, you know, you guys are amazing. And I think it, I always think it's because in school you're like forced a lot to get up in front of everyone and talk. And so you got, you know, and you're, you're louder than other countries and you're more, you're more confident than other countries. And it comes across in the pitches, you know, and it, it comes across in public speaking and stuff like that. Whereas like Irish people are so used to being mocked by each other and English people are so reserved. And, you know, so I, I just think it's, I'm surprised more, I'm surprised it's not bigger in America. It may be in other places, but I, I don't know because I so assiduously avoid it all. So I'm not <laughs> the best to observe that, but you, you make a very interesting observation. And even though I am introverted, if you're raised in a giant country where your people chant USA number one, and I'm not, I'm not knocking anything. Y'all can at me all you want, but I'm just saying you're raised in that it's, it's a big country. I was raised with a lot of problems, but I was raised in a culture of yes go out and get what you want to get you can do it and obviously yeah. that's not true for everyone who lives here and i freely acknowledge my privilege in that absolutely but i can't help but think that that also is inverted as i am i'm not afraid to yeah i'm not afraid to i don't like it but i'm not afraid to go and talk to whoever i might need to talk to and it's also, I, th- I was raised in the church. My dad is a retired Episcopal okay. priest, but okay. we started out as Southern Baptist, which if you are in the United States listening to this now and you are a Christian, that's like, that's big. That's a yeah. big sea change. But the the speaking and having parents, and my mom was a teacher, so having parents who spoke. Okay. So anyway, yeah. so they I, so, up in front of people. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. that's a great observation, though, about culturally – cultural mores and traditions and, 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 and ways people raise will obviously affect how they give and how they even think about charity or how they approach or communicate. And, but and enough that, about I mean, me. That, that, <laughs> um, that thing of like speaking to strangers or standing up in front of a room full of people. And, and I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it because it's like a theme through my career. It's like, it's not a natural thing and it's not necessarily even something I want to do, but if you want to, not if you want to be a good fundraiser, but you you can achieve so much if you're willing to stand in front of a room full of people. Mm-hmm. You know, That's not, true. Not, not even just as a fundraiser, but as a consultant. Like uh-huh. I used to run a fundraising agency a few years ago, and we used to do like paid sponsorship at conferences all the time. And to be honest, we got very little out of it, very little business. But when I started speaking at conferences, you know, when you start, you're in a room full of a hundred people or five hundred people talking suddenly you get all this business because mm-hmm. people, you know, you just have access to this. So, I, you know, that's been a theme for me. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to or have the confidence to talk to people on the street or talk to a big groups of people. But at the same time, I knew, I guess, 
I guess I was being held back if I didn't try Fair. to tackle that. Um, but it's not easy. No. I mean, yeah. you. I think you went a little beyond just tackling that. Um, <laughs> I, and I would just like to re- just put that out there respectfully and gently. Um, because... Um, well, you've mentioned in other interviews that, and and, and just now, your um, your deep fear of public speaking, and so you we have an example of how you started to overcome that. But I think you went a little beyond just I'm comfortable now, because um, you joined Toastmasters, which a lot of people did. I did back in the day. Yes. Very useful organization, but. It was when Dirt was young. It was a long time ago. But mm-hmm. but so you joined it, which was hey, way to go. But then then you won the UK and Ireland International Speech Contest. So I would posit that I think you took it a little beyond overcoming your fear. And I guess my question in this is, there's what made you decide to push so hard in this direction to overcome that fear, rather than maybe finding a job that didn't involve public speaking. Very good question, and, I, oh, and I'm trying you. to I'm trying to reflect on my life, and it's like <laughs> I, mean, I, we, I, I remember we, all these stages of my life where I was always looking for like data entry positions. Oh, <laughs> so sure. I didn't have to talk to anyone, and and so oh. you know I'm going to push back and say I never I never pushed or or work. No, I did work, but I I think I more kind of fell into it. Okay. Like, if I tell you about Toastmasters, so Toastma- Toastmasters changed my life. So I lo- I love talking about Toastmasters because it. it absolutely changed my life for the better and what how that came about was I was asked to do my first training session um for about 10 or 15 people you know standing in front of a room of 10 Mm -hmm. or 15 people and I was petrified and I was like losing sleep over it feeling sick and just like you know I'm terrible I'm gonna be the worst I'm gonna make a fool of myself and so someone suggested I join Toastmasters and um, Toastmasters is like a really welcoming place for people like like that who who have the fear and you go in and they don't make you speak um, they're all really welcoming they're all really lovely and then when you're ready you know and it took me maybe five I, I started going every week because I knew I had to do something about this and and it took me about five weeks before I had the confidence to put my hand up to say, sentence and and so it was like it was really hard it wasn't like okay I'm driven and now I'm going to put in all the time and I've overcome my fears it was like I was every day I was scared and even now I, I get really scared when I when I speak or, or do a podcast or something like that and I have to I have to really remind myself that you know since I've started doing it nothing has gone terrible you know I haven't I mean I, I've made a, I've made a dick of myself and I've you know maybe messed things up but <laughs> That, we all? That, that's benefited me you know people see you as a human and and mm-hmm. they kind of warm to that and so yeah so Toastmasters I just kept going and then it, I got a bit better and then I started to win kind of competitions and then I became president of the Dublin club and then my yeah my my pinnacle or my peak was I I won the UK and Ireland championship and that's a big um, deal. And you can you can see my speech on YouTube. It's there. Um, and everyone to, to the YouTube to yeah. the YouTube stations. Yeah, <laughs> quick pauses. Um, but, <laughs> but I went to DC to compete in the World Finals. Ooh. It was like a hundred of us in the World Finals, and I got disqualified because I went <gasps> I went seven seconds over time. Oh. Whereas if you were in a rodeo bull riding, that would have been a good run. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show. Wow. 
Yeah, they don't play. I remember the the timing, um, the timers, and there, it was very mm-hmm. formal. It was that I worked very. at a hospital, and they offered it to employees. So a slightly different experience, but. And I'm sorry to say I don't know how active Toastmasters has been during the pandemic, but if you do have a fear of speaking, it's a very structured program that could help you. Absolutely, um, and and I mean there are there were a few virtual clubs already, uh, but obviously they all became virtual, sure, um, sure, at least temporarily. So I really recommend it. And and I've gone to you know not just the Dublin club. When this sounds really sad, but when I when I went on holidays and travelled, sometimes I'd pop into Toastmasters clubs. And, oh. um, and so even in the state, and they're all slightly different. They all have a sure. similar format, but they're, they're all slightly different. And I remember going to one in, um, oh, this makes me sound like such a loser. I went to one in, in Toronto, Canada as well. And there was a woman there who was also, who it was the first time she was there. And at the end, she just kind of said to everyone, she was like, I've never been somewhere that gives everyone a voice. <sighs> and, I, and for me, it was like, wow, that is such a, a thing. It's like, because a lot of people in Toastmasters are maybe they've maybe been bullied as a kid or they've been in a weird family relationship where they've been put down, you know, people who've been silenced and people who Mm -hmm. are now afraid to speak out for whatever reason. And, and I, I was like that. So someone, one of my friends says there's a lot of broken teddy bears in Toastmasters. And, um, and so suddenly here's a place where you're not going to get mocked. You're not going to get laughed Uh -uh. no matter what you say they applaud, <laughs> you know, they, they yeah. every time. So I remember that every time yeah. someone said anything, and you that's, know, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. Yeah, it and, and, it, and it's like everything else in life. If, if, if everyone tells you, you can't do it, you begin to believe it. But if everyone tells you, you can do it, mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, you, you start to believe it because we're such, we're such unreliable narrators in our own lives. Oh, that's true. That we like, we're so hard on ourselves. And and that's I I just think that's an amazing thing with Toastmasters because because I now I do public speaking training and I train people to speak and we do it at, at a lot of at a lot of fundraising conferences we do it yeah and, and one of the things we do I do is I get people up just to speak for the first time and they speak and I say to them how did that feel and everyone says it was terrible I was really nervous my voice was shaking da, da, da. and then I say to the rest of the room how were they and they were like none of that's true they were brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. so you, they can't hear your shaky voice. They can't see your embarrassment and they don't notice your mistakes until you draw attention to it. So there's, there's just something in that, that it's like, we're so hard on ourselves. Hmm. But if you can get over that, even just for 10 minutes and stand up in front of a room full of people, then y- your life changes. I'm a little verklempt right now and I'm being serious. That was what, really, what does that mean? That means I'm a little, I'm a little emotional about that. Yeah. It little, doesn't even have the words to speak. It's not a southern. It's, well, it's not a southern thing. I believe it might be Yiddish. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, and I, I apologize if I have misclassified that uh, word origin. Like no, it. that's just beautiful. That's I love it. That's one of the mm-hmm. things I love so much about that working with Amanda being on this podcast is that we are privy to some, some excellent how to's and here do this and and go here but then we are able to explore these topics more in depth so just thank you for being so um open and honest and talking about the need to be heard um it's very important it's very important well and i love i mean because you know obviously we didn't know you back then seeing you now like if i had to guess that never million years i never would have guessed that you were that worried about speaking in front of 10 people much less you know so it's funny and, and and i mean i do get people come up to me and they say like 
how how do you how do you present so confidently you know and i'm not just saying that people say that to me and i'm always like i, I, I don't like I, before <laughs> i go on stage i feel sick and oh, yeah. i feel terrible but it's like i just i'm you know it's not even if i'm doing an, an hour speech it's not even like the nerves for an hour that you have to overcome it's the nerves for like the 10 seconds just before you go on agree you can sure. overcome that once you start speaking it's fine and um yeah it's 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 not easy it's not easy at all but i've had so much support from people so many people who've given me chances and then things like toastmasters which mm-hmm. has just been really invaluable for me and and honestly when i say it changed my life like i'm not i'm not being um whatever the word is i was going to say verklempt just because i only no verklempt would be but... you would be your reaction to something beautiful yeah you're overcome with emotion yes so. <laughs> exactly Aww. so so this just sort of leads me into um a, a related question to that so you are providing um, speaker training now. This has changed your life. You also, through um, Fundraising Everywhere and Fundraising Everywhere Plus, you provide training in all sorts of areas of uh, fundraising. And full disclosure, Amanda and I were um, speakers um, yes. last December, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a lot of fun. And I think we made some people laugh and they might've learned a couple of things, but it was taught during a game of bingo. So, you know, no, no apologies, no regrets. Um, (laughs) But there are obviously all kinds of trainings everywhere about fundraising, just fundraising everywhere. I see, I see what I did there. I didn't even mean to, but there's, um, there are all kinds of opportunities through all sorts of organizations for training. What was the, gap in that training arena that you wanted to fill yeah i, I mean um and I, and I love all those organizations like i i have a really strong relationship with um i'm kind of i'm kind of hesitant to name them because it it seems like i'm trying to take something away from them but i i have a lot of love for people like afp sure. Sure. a lot of love for the institute of fundraising in the uk uh-huh. um you know all over the world and and i i continue to you know, work with them when I can in terms of speaking out their stuff. And I, and I love what they do. And, but what, what I was finding, what myself and my co-founder, Nikki Bell, were finding was a couple of things. There's one that, that we found a lot of the training very expensive, um, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. to get to. And I, I'm, not, I'm not referring to, to all of the, the ones that I've just mentioned. But say, for example, there was a conference that the, the conference where we decided um, was in Europe, and we were there speaking and we kind of looked around and we, we realized people had paid, I think it was about $2,000 for a ticket to be there, plus flights, plus accommodation. And, it was, and it's brilliant. It's a brilliant conference and I learned loads and stuff. But we were kind of like, you know, 99% of nonprofits aren't ever going to be at this. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, me and Nikki, Nikki and I, we have a lot of love for small charities. Um, but I, I just, you know, a lot of people will disagree with this, but I feel like when you have money, when you have lots of money, fundraising is very easy. Yeah. But when, when you don't have money, it's hard. It's, it's hard to get started. And so we, we just kind of felt like, okay, let's, um, let's see if we can put something on. And we were, we were kind of looking at putting something on in real life. And then we realized, okay, if we do this virtually, we can, we can reach so many people. We can get the best speakers from around the world. We can, um, you know, make it accessible. We can do subtitles. You know, a lot of people in our in our sector have accessibility issues, obviously. 
And so we can bring this to people who never could could have reached it before. And then as well, at the same time, there was a lot a lot of environmental stuff kicking off. It was around the time like Greta Thunberg or even <laughs> just before her. And we also were like, you know, all these fundraisers are flying around to talk about how to tackle climate change. And we, and I'm so, sorry for laughing. I'm in no way laughing at climate yeah. change. We're experiencing crazy stuff in our yeah. continent right now. But the irony just got to me. It, it just it, it just didn't really add up. So we did it and we, we did our first one and it was going to be a one-off conference. Maybe it was going to turn into an annual conference. But it was just so successful for us and um, really great feedback. And people who had never been to a fundraising conference were now seeing some of the best fundraising trainers. We got feedback from people who were raising more money because of the stuff they put into place. And we were like, okay, let's do this again. And so we started to do it again. Um, and then COVID kicked off. Oh, yeah. And, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, we're very lucky to have set up a virtual event company just before COVID. Um, but at the same time, I, as I always say, I've been live streaming and doing stuff for 10 years and nobody cared for nine and a half years. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, the overnight, the overnight success kind of, we put a lot of work into it. Um, so yeah, it just, you know, COVID, COVID has been a, a weird thing because the demand, obviously the demand for these virtual events. And then, um, and then people started to ask us to run events for them. And so we uh -huh. launched everywhere plus which was basically taking the tech that we built which nice. is really pretty and really lovely looking mm -hmm. compared to zoom it's it's very much an event rather than like a video call and That's and true. and it became a second business and so now we run fundraising everywhere to train the fundraisers we love around the world and we run everywhere plus to help people put on their first virtual event or or run a big virtual event that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise i mean someone's just booked a 23 hour event worldwide wow. virtual event and and most organizations they wouldn't have the resources to do that so they bring us in and we help them achieve that and um it's been wild please, please tell me that straight through is it just like a marathon yeah. yeah like like around the world people will wake up and i mean i i i'm not 100 percent sure what the program's going to be but that's fine just the concept of it is, yeah. is, is the, my the concept is madness strangely wonderful yeah, anyway. it's going to be interesting. But yeah, so I mean, again, life changing in terms of fundraising everywhere and everywhere. Plus, we've been really fortunate to have a great business partner in Nikki. And we hired a, a, some really good fundraisers and people in the sector to help us. And now we're, what are we? What are we? We're, we're 10 people. And we've, okay. we've got three, we're interviewing for three more positions at the moment. And uh, we work with a bunch of freelancers as well, and and it's been great. And we've been, we've had the privilege of running events for nonprofits in America, in the UK, in Ireland, in Australia, all over the place. And it's been wild. And some of them have some of them have raised more with their virtual event than they ever raised in their real life event. And it's just like it's mm -hmm. just so reassuring. And so, I mean, Nikki and I love love real life conferences, and we'll continue to speak at those, and we'll continue to support those. We don't think virtual is going to replace real life at all. You know, no delusion about that. But I just think there's a supplement there, you know, and I think the virtual allows people who couldn't afford to take a week out to fly to a conference or, you know, only want to see one session or want to watch it in their mm -hmm. own time or need closed captions or whatever. There's, there's, there's room for it. And I think it can only make our, better, our sector better is, is if more fundraisers can get trained, obviously. Sure. Yeah.
It's wild. Well, we've seen that. Kimberly and I both sit on the board for the Grant Professionals Association, and last year's conference um, had to went 100% virtual because of the pandemic. And the amount of people that were able to attend for the first time ever yeah. because the cost was so much cheaper and they didn't have to travel and yeah. you know, it, it opened the door. So I, I think, I think that event is always going to have a high, be hybrid of some sort, both yeah. a, in person and a virtual component. Cause otherwise you're just missing out on helping half the people who need the help. So. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, for charities themselves, you know, we're running events for nonprofits for their donors or supporters or volunteers. I mean, we've been, we've been amazed that, you know, a chunk of nonprofits are like, as soon as they can go back to the real world, they'll go back to the real world and get rid of virtual forever. But but a chunk of nonprofits realize that so many of their supporters can't travel to these events or can't be at these events. Like, I mean, one of our clients is um, the Stroke Association in the UK, and they're, they're great. And they've realized that so many of their supporters are obviously either carers or people who've had strokes or, you know, people who are affected by it. So they're not going to get on a train for six hours to London. Yeah, and so sure. they they realize that actually, you know, COVID has forced them to try or to invest in virtual, and now it's paid off for them because they've suddenly opened the doors to all these people who there was just no way they were going to travel. And, and it's the same in Ireland. I mean, Ireland's a really small country, but people hate coming to Dublin. You know, if they don't live in Dublin, but that's where all the training is. And I'm sure, and it's the same for the states. I'd say if you're you're oh, in the middle like- of the states, you feel totally neglected. Sure. Well, heck, even in Georgia, I mean, if you're not in the metro Atlanta area, I don't know how many people that are like, I'm not driving three hours and fighting your 30 lanes of traffic to come to something in person. Yeah. So, To be oh. fair, it's only 25, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's, that wouldn't even make sense. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, well, you talk talking a lot about events, and <laughs> there's I saw something I saw in your bio that I really appreciated because I um, I've been involved in several events. Kimberly and I both um, have helped out in the past. Girl, I got to stop you right there. By involved, she means planning and executing multiple yeah. successful regional conferences. Amanda Day, please. Well, you're kind. I acknowledge your yeah. skill. So we I help put on this. It's the Southern Regional Grant Conference. And everybody putting this on, we're all volunteers. So we're all doing it from, you know, the love of our profession and wanting to help folks out. And of course, you know, you get feedback and 99% of it is fabulous. People would appreciate it. But there's always a handful of ones that are just (laughs) probably the one that I will never forget. I got a scathing complaint. It was because bad. the morning of we, we couldn't really afford the hotel snacks because it's really expensive. And so the, our way around that, we had a snack sponsor who we, we had little goodie bags that had snacks for the two days. So if you got hungry, you could delve in and grab a granola bar, a bag of chips or whatever. But the, the complaint was we gave her a snack bag and by noon she had consumed over 2000 calories and it was all our fault. By the way, that person was not me for the record. That was not me. <laughs> Sure, she says. Um, and I'm guessing you have a few of those because in your bio, I'm going to quote one of the ones you have in there. It yes. says, I was surprised there weren't any plant-based options for lunch or plant-based milks for the coffee. So bad reviews, they're to be expected. How do you handle the negative reviews and balance? Like what needs to be ignored and what is constructive criticism? Yeah, I think, oh God, I mean, that's like, I'm so 
thin-skinned and insecure and just like emotionally fragile <laughs> as as are many fundraisers i think and so you get the feedback back when you speak and you guys know this you speak and you get yeah. all that feedback back and you you scan it for the worst one mm-hmm. agreed and that's all you think about for the agreed. you know it doesn't matter that 99% of people loved it and it was great and stuff the person who thinks your voice was a bit nasally it's like <laughs> I'm going to be losing sleep over that one tonight. So yeah, I, so I, I mean, I, so there's a group of us who we kind of exchange funny, negative feedback we get. <laughs> I mean, most of it is is never our fault. Like obviously, I don't make the coffee if I'm yeah. speaking at an event. I don't make the coffee I'm speaking, um, and so some of it's a bit unfair. But then, I mean, I did a plenary, and someone said, "I don't want to. I didn't. I don't want to hear someone who just likes the sound of their own voice." <sighs> And I, I was kind of like, how do you do a plenary without people, without speaking? You know, yeah. how do you, like the point of the plenary is being. It, it is so, the, it, it's not a discussion group. It is a per, people or one person speaking for, that's, yeah. that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we get a lot, um, a lot of the conference I speak at, a lot of the general feedback overall is they want more interactive sessions, not just the speaker speaking. And so at yeah. the virtual conference I was just talking about last year, I put together a very interactive, like, very. questions, got their feedback, and then I'd give some responses. And my my negative reviews was, well, half the time the speaker wasn't even speaking. She was just asking us questions. And I thought, what? You can't, you can't win. <laughs> you can't. And I have, you know, those used to, 10, 10, 15 years ago, that I would have obsessed over that for a while. But mm. I finally got to the point where I'm like, as long as 80% of the people are happy, I've done my job. The other, there's just always going to be those people. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. And I'm just, I'm tired of moping because of them. So I just ignore them now. <laughs> and I, th- I think there's like, there's a, not a skill, but there's, there's something in knowing when to ignore, ignore negative feedback, you know, and, and that, yeah. that's probably not going to go down too well with the fundraisers. Cause obviously we always have to hit, hear our donors and supporters and listen to them and stuff. But I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry to say this. Not many people want to admit this publicly sometimes your donors are just wrong you know and sometimes yeah. sometimes people are just wrong you know heaven forbid and so i mean like the virtual events we run so you'll always get like um a few people who say it's too short and then you'll get exactly the same number of people who say it's too long, too long. Uh-huh. and so you have to realize you can't ever please people and so so our job is to try and work out okay you know, we'll, we'll hear their feedback, but we need to digest what's actually going on. And so, so the, I mean, the interesting thing about virtual events is, yeah, some people think they're always too long and some people think they're always too short. And so the conclusion we came up to on, came up with on that is you can't be too short. Even if people say it's too short, the feeling you get when you come out of something being too short is you want more. Yeah, that's you, a good leave, thing. you leave them on a high. That's true. That's true. Whereas if, if it's too long, people get bored and they remember that they're bored. And so it, you know, that's the kind of approach we have. No one, no one ever complains about, you know, um, getting more time of their life back or, you know, having yeah. as long as long as they get the good content. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we've done, even though some people have said stuff is too short, is we've made it shorter because we we're tracking the people who say it's too long and we're trying to understand that we're always going to make some people unhappy so i don't know so the the whole feedback thing is funny it's like you have to learn from it but it's not always gospel um and so you know coming back to my website as you said what what turned into into it became a joke that i would just start putting up the negative feedback on my website 
Um, you know, because I, I, my thinking was, if I put that up, people will trust me, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, because everyone's website says how great they are. Uh-huh. But if you have negative feedback amongst the positive feedback, suddenly it becomes true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I, and I think there is a lesson in that around transparency. It's like, you know, a lot of charities try and pretend nothing ever goes wrong. And you, you know, that no one believes that. Whereas if you get, get in touch with your donors and say, hey, this is the mistake we made. This is, a, this is the problem. It's like, I think that builds trust. And, and a really good example of that is, um, oh, what's that, what's that um, American organization? Is it GiveWell? GiveWell or, oh, I'll have to look it up. But it's the one that tells you the best charities in the world. But Charity Navigator? N- no. Give, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not Give Smart. It's similar, but they do they do lots of research. But anyway, that, that's irrelevant because one of the things that they do is they publish their board meetings. They pu- they publish the audio recordings of their board meetings, and if they have a HR problem, they put it on their website. And if they get a complaint from someone, a member of the public, they put it on their website. And for me, it's like, how can you not trust a hundred percent an organization who publishes all its failings? You know, none of us expect them to be perfect, but when you see the failings, I just think it builds trust. And and I don't know, I guess the jury is still out on that, but I have a lot of love for um, people who, people in organizations who are truthful about their faults. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, us three hit it off when we met last yeah. year. We're faulty. <laughs> because you're, you're, always, you're always honest about your faults. You know, you're always, oh, you always make fun of yourself. And I think there's something, <laughs> there's something really pure in that as opposed to these gurus who are totally out of fashion now who stand on a stage and, and pretend that they've never made a mistake. Um, I don't know. I just think it's changing a little bit where hu- humanity is making, is, it, humanity is working more than professionalism. Yeah. Well, it is, it, I, I appreciate folks that are relatable. And so, yeah, no, cause I mean, the reality is none of us are perfect. So the fact that like, Hey, they've stumbled and look how awesome they're doing. Even though I've stumbled, I can get there too. Kind of a thing. So I appreciate that. And you're right. It is give well. Give well. Thank you. It is. You were thank right. you. Yes. I love it. I love them. They're, they're amazing. And they're, they're really good in terms of how they assess charities, but yeah, that transparency, I've never seen anything to that extent. That's amazing. So, so speaking of professionalism and not being and not being afraid to admit your faults, I want to swing that in the other direction and ask you about your TEDx speaking engagement. Because as an outsider, as a consumer of TED talks and TEDx experiences, it strikes me that it is highly choreographed and highly orchestrated, and that there may not be an extreme tolerance for perhaps a speaker like me who sees a script as more of a guideline or an idea that occurred, would you either confirm or dispel my, um, my <laughs> assumptions faulty? They, they, uh, they, I'm sure they are, but um, I would just like you to talk a little bit about that, ex- that experience of being in a, in a TEDx environment. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was lovely, you know, and it was really satisfying to do it. And I, I would, I had been a big Ted fan and I'd always wanted to do, um, I was going to say a real Ted talk, you know, but a Ted talk without the X. And, um, so, so that's, that's like a much higher, higher echelon where it's invite only. Whereas TEDx, to be honest, it's a bit easier to get that gig now because it's, there's so many of them going on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I don't, I'm not sure it was as professional as it was because I, I mean, I remember sitting in the room beforehand with whatever the eight or nine other speakers who were doing that TEDx, and they were all so nervous. I was so nervous. You know, we were all just kind of trying to support each other. And then when we went out, you know, a few speakers um, fl- fluffed their lines. Okay. Uh, one guy, one guy had to restart. I think it was seven times, and they ed- they edited it all out. Sure. So, so this is the secret, guys. Is it's not as polished as it looks. It's just edited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I mean, I, and I've co- I've got to the point now where I'm, I'm coaching someone at the moment to do a TEDx talk, and I've coached a couple other people before. You know, and if anyone's listening and it's their dream to do a TED talk, this is my free offer. I will I will help anyone achieve that. Because it's really, it's such a lovely. Raising your hand. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, it's but it's it's, it's it's a it's a great experience, you know. And to get the photo or the video next to those big, big red letters yes, is really yes. there's something really satisfying about that. And I was just really proud of it. And, um, <laughs> I'm actually, and I want to thank you for pointing out something that I wish had been more obvious to me. Of course, editing plays a huge role in all of these things, and I need to always remind myself and anyone else who may be experiencing this, that those talks or other presentations that you see like that are often heavily edited, much like Instagram influencers, yes. photos or anything else. I, mm-hmm. I, I just, ha- I'm having a big duh uh, and, moment, of course. And yeah, I mean, everyone edits their lives. And you, and you said a really interesting thing there about, you know, messing up the script or going off the script. And I mean, that that's one of the things I always say when I'm po- training people in public speaking now is nobody knows your script. So if you go off it, the audience doesn't know until you flag it, until you say, oh, sorry, everyone, I've messed up. Can we start again? And so one of the skills of, of public speaking is, is to pretend you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the glass of water is, is your best friend. It's like I go over and I, and I take a big drink of water where I'm like, oh, my God, what was I saying? Oh, my God, oh, my God, what's next? What's next? <laughs> And everyone, everyone thinks you're really cool and calm and collected because you're drinking water on the stage. But actually, I'm panicking in my head going, what was the next bit? What was the next bit? Okay. Um, and, it, <laughs> and even check your notes. You know, I've, I've checked. I, che- yeah. I think I checked my notes once in the TED Talk and it gets edited out. And everyone else checked their notes. And it's the whole, the whole world is an illusion. Nobody knows what they're doing. And so once you realize that nobody knows what they're doing, even the the obamas and the dan plotters of the world life becomes a bit easier because you realize everyone is lost and useless (laughs) i am so comforted by that also i was feeling some sort of psychedelic soundtrack i was amanda i was making the but that's not the sound effect it's more like we're all useless i i love that that's how did it, how did it take us so long for one of us to start singing? <laughs> I'm feeling some Age of Aquarius vibes there, Kimberly. Well, that was that's more like when the moon is in the seventh house, but that's a little different. This is more like it's more like an episode of the Monkeys. I, Amanda, I know you don't, I know you don't remember the show. I'm probably the only one who does, but it was um, this group. It was it was like the boy bands probably of the late '60s, early '70s on a TV show. There were a couple of musicians, but it was put together, and they would do this. Which is maybe kind of a deep purple thing, but my point is there was a psychedelic thematic score that yeah. accompanied them. 
That's that 70s kind of look. And I, I, I like the monkey. The monkeys brought out a new album a few years ago. And it was written, like all the songs were written by amazing modern people. And well, that's I, because they didn't write all their own songs. I think only Mike uh, Nesmith, only Mike Nesmith was a songwriter. And his dad actually invented Whiteout. Wow. <laughs> and did isn't it Neil Diamond who wrote most of their big hits? I'm he a wrote believer. Man, I saw I'm a believer. I'm that a was believer. Neil Diamond. Yeah, my mom loved Neil Diamond. I can see our tangent is widening, and yeah, I'm yeah. on. I'm I'm on the ramp, and I'm getting ready to go. But I'm gonna try and pull it back. Pull it back. The, the Monkeys podcast is suddenly <sighs> launched. Uh, but yeah, I was just feeling. I just love that. That was so comforting in some weird way. That yeah, we all are um, well, imperfect and make mistakes. Nobody knows know, what they're doing. No they, one they, has an idea. Great, yeah, I, you're, you're both parents as well. I, I, yes. I yeah. And it's like, remember when you were a little kid and you thought your parents knew what they were doing? <laughs> they were gods. And then it's yeah. like, wow, y'all really don't get this at all, do you? <laughs> yeah. And now, now I'm like, I'm 10 years, 10 years older than my parents were when they had me. And it's like, I still don't know what I'm doing. It's just like, oh my God, nobody knows. On the regular. Mm. But it's still okay to say because I'm the mom and I said so. And that absolutely yeah. that works. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Ted, Ted, talk, Kimberly. Honestly, let me. Uh, let's do it. Let's I do it. it, Amanda. Do you want to do it with me? Why not? <laughs> can we do? Can, are they dual TED talks? I don't think so. Oh. So you'll have to compete. We can compete. Friendly, lovingly. We will. You two, you two are funny because Kimberly identifies as an introvert. And uh-huh. Amanda identif- identifies as an extrovert, but actually, I think you come across the opposite. I don't even know what to say to that, <laughs> but except to point out, except to point out that I'm talking with Amanda, who I've known and loved for years. I'm talking to you, and I feel very comfortable around you. Mm. And, or I'm presenting in front of a big group of people. If you saw me at a cocktail party mm. where I had to go in and mix and mingle, I would be, I would be off trying to find someone's dog to pet or something. Mm. And Amanda might be finding out through all her travels and her childhood moving around. Oh, you know, so-and-so. And we went there and I'd be uh, like, yeah. please God, let this be over. So that would be the difference. <laughs> like, here's a good difference. When, Like I said, we both traveled for the same company. I'm always like, okay, who do I know that lives anywhere close? And yeah. I'm meeting up and we're going to dinner and we're doing, and Kimberly's like, that is my worst nightmare. I'm squirreled away in my hotel. Don't speak to me. Don't look I'm at me. I'm in the cone of silence. <laughs> I would go, no, that's not true. I would go to um, a tour, do like some sort of little touristic thing. No matter, I, sometimes yeah. it was a struggle because we travel to some places where I'm like, okay, well, There's or I'll just go to the hotel room. And I would ask, um, and I think you did this too, there you, there were um, a lot of times there were police officers or firefighters that would take the, the grant writing classes. Um, and they oh. always know the best places to eat. Um, local mm-hmm. places, and so I would do that. But then I would go by myself. I would not go yeah, yeah. for that lunch. <laughs> I would be like, I would be like the taqueria by the cemetery. Thanks. I'm gonna have to do that after lunch because I've got work. I'm serious. Yeah, does, that, does anyone have any tips of where to eat that they're not gonna be at? Yes. Meanwhile, I was always the one going. Who doesn't want to eat alone? And oh, I'll go with yeah. you. And I would have. I'd, I'd always have a lunch date. That's the difference. Yeah. I, I can kind of mu- muster that up sometimes. I think most times I'm an introverted and I hide in my hotel. But it's it's like the TED talk and Toastmasters and stuff. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I know I need to do yep. this, and I hate it. Um, and and I, I mean, there, there are lots of tips in terms of helping you network and helping you get over that stuff, and and that's that's helped. But you know, ninety percent of the time, I still do go back to my hotel room and just hide. 
but after te- perhaps teaching or leading or helping people learn new things all day long. Well, actually, that's the other reason I speak at conferences. And no. is, I'm not sure I've ever admitted this publicly, but when I'm an attendee, I can't, oh, yes. I can't bring myself to speak to anyone. I'm too nervous. Whereas when I speak, people come up to you and they really? start the conversation. Yes. And, and, it's, and you're doing a thing for which you can gather commentary. Yes. You're not just like, this hey, yeah. I'm, hey, how was your flight? Oh, my God. Just, oh, my Hi, my, God. my Simon is name. I mean, name is Simon. So actually, that's, that's one of my secret shames is one of the reasons I speak at conferences is because you control... You control that initial. You control the environment, and then afterwards, people for the rest of the conference, people are like, "Hi, Simon," and it's like, "I have friends." Oh, you are not alone. Do you want to sing that? You You are not alone. See, look at the two the two introverts singing on a podcast. We are completely. It's a podcast, Simon. It's a podcast. No one's seeing this. We're seeing each other. It's a big fat difference. Yeah, good point. Well, <sighs> singing, we want to know what's the next big thing for you, Simon. Yes. And please tell me you have another fundraising music video in your future. Oh, it's on YouTube. That's another oh. YouTube thing y'all need to find. Well, I mean, this this is how we bonded, isn't it? Really? Yes, it's yes, like, really, really. We all love singing fundraising stuff, but none of us are very good at it. I would to be fair, to be fair. This is why I rap. I, 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 I yeah. lean more towards the Grants Grants baby side of things. Which I loved. And I think I think that is when I fell in love yes. with you guys, when I saw yes. Grants Grants baby. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you, yeah, you guys saw my country music uh, song, which is actually a bit Americana. I think it uh, I would, American you, might one be One could say, one could say. Mm. Yeah. You, took a little, you took a little trip down, you know. But I, yeah, I like that. I like writing. I like creating silly fundraising stuff. And um um, someone, someone, I think called me the fundraisers fundraiser before because actually now I'm not even very good at fundraising and I hate donors and I will never talk. <laughs> I'll never talk to another company again. And so it's like now, now I just produce content for fundraisers. So I like, I like doing like fundraising memes. I like doing fundraising songs. I like training fundraisers. I love fundraisers. I hate mm-hmm. people, but I love fundraisers. <laughs> I just, I just feel like a kindred. I've just found a kindred spirit, and I can't tell you, because if yeah. I could live the rest of my life without putting together one of those damn gift baskets for an auction or getting drunk oh people to gosh. buy stuff they don't need, I would die happy. I would die <laughs> happy and fulfilled. It's the best thing about being a consultant, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I can tell y'all how to run your event and how you shouldn't have the event, but I'm not going to do the event. No, I, I mean, I, I, I do love donors, and I appreciate donors, and I know you know, we, us donors change the world. But yeah, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just not able for it anymore. You know, I'm burnt, I'm burnt out. I'm a, I'm a recovering fundraiser. You know, we um, have a podcast episode that could help you address oh, that. I'm going to send you a link. I need that. I mean, we all burn out in fundraising once in a while or eventually, oh, but yeah. I've, I think I, I'm at my third burnout and I think that's <laughs> it. I think, I think I'm done except yeah. I think I'll train fundraisers and I'll work with fundraisers very happily but I don't think I'll ever fundraise again, to be honest. This is, this is my coming out episode. I've, I haven't publicly announced that. It is Pride Month, my friend. Get out there, be who you are. Don't be so, afraid uh, to be who you are. So what, in, in terms of the music Actually, thing, I mean, Pride month. I, would lo- I would like to do a fundraising rap, but I think I'd struggle to compete with you guys. Hey, we can, we There's can no have, need to compete. Let's collaborate. Or what about this? An Andrew Lloyd Webber-esque fundraising musical. 
maybe like the Phantom of the Gala or something? <laughs> the you Phantom know, of the Gala is now here. Sing, oh. my angel of beauty. Ah! Oh, wow. Oh, well, I have already wow. written uh, the, uh, the uh, opening song to Hamilton instead of I am uh, or Alexander Hamilton. We, we have an I am a professional. No, you've done yeah. that? It's yeah. fantastic. It's not published yet, is it? Oh, it's, I can send you the link. Yeah. Please. I need to see that. I love that. I yes. Love that. So yeah, yeah. I'm I mean I'm not I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get lose a lot of followers with this one. I'm not a big Hamilton fan to be honest, but I'm a huge Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. Okay. And so I would like to do yeah, Phantom or maybe a, a Cats version. Ooh. Or uh, what would be good? I don't know. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor, Technicolor bucket. Donor coat. <laughs> donor coat, yeah. Donor bucket. There's yeah, let's get back to the drawing board. Let's think okay. about that. Maybe that's that might be forget grant writing. Let's let's write a yeah. Let's this write is, a musical about grants and fundraising and and then retire. And produce it. Off, and retire. Off, I'm off, down. Off, I'm off, down with that. Huge amount of money we'll make from the <laughs> our dozens of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, with, for, to to help people get in touch with you and these great, great ideas, what's the best way for people to learn more about fundraising everywhere, everywhere plus, and a potential musical that would not violate any oh, yeah. copyrights whatsoever? Yeah, if anyone's a good singer or a, a good uh, musician, get in touch. But no, uh, so so um, yeah, you can find me on on all um, the LinkedIn as usual. Um, Twitter, I'm on as Toast Fundraiser. Um, I deactivate my account once in a while when my mental health isn't great. So if I'm not there, just wait a month and I'll be back. Um, but otherwise, if you email know. Simon at fundraisingeverywhere.com, I love to hear from fundraisers. And then check out fundraisingeverywhere.com if you want more training or check out everywhereplus.com if you need help going virtual. Um, and that's where I am, yeah. Simon what's at fundraisingeverywhere.com. What's y'all's next event that's on the horizon people should Ooh, be checking we, out? Well, when when does this drop? When does this air? Because we've got one. As they oh, say. End of July. Okay. So uh, we have, oh, we damn, we have the July Small Charity Legends Conference, which uh, your listeners, I'm sorry, you will have missed that. But you can go back. The other beauty of virtual is you can go back mm. and get it on demand. So that's there. Sure. Um, we have some uh, conferences coming up around arts fundraising, around individual giving, around corporate. You know, we we basically run an, a big event once a month and then we have on-demand stuff. Um, and then your session, guys, is still available. Oh, yeah. So the Grants and Trust Summit, we'll be, we'll be doing it again at the end of this year. Um, but the one from a few months ago is available and there's some amazing sessions in there, including uh, your bingo session. So um there's nothing to stop people you know they don't have to wait for the next event they can go in and just dip in and and we do a membership as well which is a really um small amount of money uh each month to access everything um and oh i must give you guys a discount code what what word do you want as a discount code for clint it's going to be too hard to spell so. <laughs> can it be heyday yeah heyday okay if if your wonderful listeners use the use the word heyday and they'll get a nice discount off any session. Oh, and we need to let people know that it's it's spelled our way, which is not the typical. It's H-A-Y-D-A-Y because of our names, y'all. So we understand that there's another spelling. Which is the first lesson of marketing, isn't it? Don't, don't, don't give a voucher code, which is hard to spell. 
yeah. but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway because oh, we're God. rebels. Oh, <laughs> also, H-A-Y-D-A-Y, what is so hard about yeah. that? H-A-Y-D-A-Y, come on over to fundraisingoverhead.com, chuck that about that discount code in, and you'll get something, you'll get a nice treat. So, um, Yay, yeah, treat. Nice surprise. Thank you. Well, well, well thank you. So much people should, people should, should pick up your session because it was good. It was really good. It's fun. You're so kind. We try. And they're singing, there's some I mean, bad, and we mutilate a 70s or 80s um, classic. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. Classic song. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Oh. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It was really nice to see you again. Thank you for listening. We wouldn't do it without you because we couldn't do it without you. Leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the word. We are so honored that you chose to spend time with us, and we would love for this podcast to be a part of your professional development lineup. Thank you again to our Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you and hope you tune in in two weeks for our next episode where Federal Grants Management Guru Lucy Morgan is going to share her tips for building a successful training business. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm.